CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag employees and hashtag HR. Today's topic is putting employees first. And our guests for today's show are Jeff Rizicki, who's the CIO of Autodesk. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Good morning, Sanjog. Doing well, thank you. Great, great to have you. And we also have Vineet Nair, who is the former CEO of HCL Technologies, the founder of Sumperk Foundation, and the author of book, Employees First, Customers Second, Turning Conventional Management Upside Down. Good morning, Vineet. How are you? Oh, sorry. It's good evening to you. You're calling from India. <laughs> yes, pretty good. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. and great to be on the show. Great honor to have you on the show as well. So we believe that everyone should be able to achieve a healthy balance of satisfaction and happiness in their life and work. And most leaders believe that. And yet it's truth that not everyone is happy with their work or able to do all they want in their personal life. So that's the notion of today's show, finding out a way uh, that we can do more than just give the idea, the lip service that many companies or PR uh, people may be doing, and really put our employees' happiness above other priorities. With that said, uh, Jeff, the first question for you is that we all strive to and we take pride in calling that oh, we are one of the best places to work. And we, of course, have the PR programs in place. Of course, we've got HR programs in place and do whatever best we can. However, one is the, the world looking at it from outside, but what's the scene inside? Because many of the organizations don't seem to have that, that utopia if you, in terms of how an employee feels when they come in every day. Well, I think this is always a, a push-pull, if you will, because you do have the external messaging, as you said, where, whether uh, an organization has been identified as a great place to work or not. But at the end of the day, it really is what behaviors and commitments do employees not only see but feel internally. It's one thing to talk about um, uh, sort of getting feedback from individual employees and collectively from the organization. But if they don't see that feedback turned into action, and that action then helping to actively shape a culture, the practical reality is that many of the the programs will not flourish going forward. So I think that there needs to be a commitment, uh, a tone from the top, if you will, but then that, that, that tone needs to be translated into actions and behaviors that people can not only see, but also then shape with their feedback. So, Vineet, uh, given the kind of uh, people that we see, the different generations, the demanding work that we have in most of our organizations, do you think we can really get away with just doing a PRN or an HR program to make sure that employees are feeling good about themselves or it has to start somewhere where it becomes the DNA of an organization? I think so, Jörg. There are two questions we need to ask ourselves. Uh, first question is, why do employees uh, go on a Sunday to a mosque, a church, or a Monday and feel good about it? And then why do they come into our offices, get paid for it, and feel bad about it? 
So there is obviously something dramatically wrong which we are doing. And the second question we need to ask ourselves, is employees a necessary evil or a resource or our core asset or all that, you know, so much vocabulary has been built around uh, employees or are they a competitive advantage? And if you start viewing them as your competitive advantage and bring the same amount of intensity and support competitiveness, investment, experimentation, as you would bring to something which you is your competitive advantage, like a new product, new market, that is the time the employees, young and old, of any generation, will really feel energized, will really feel happy. And that is the time you go beyond the vocabulary, the PR machine, and the number one and number two out there, and that is the time people will really see the same purpose and the same happiness as they experience uh, on the Sunday. And I think that is not well understood. That what is the role of an employee in the organization? And why he, he or she is there? Once that is understood, I think the rest of the pieces will fall in place. Very, very good points that you made, uh, Vineet. Now, uh, Jeff, coming to you based on what just Vineet says, so if he understood the role, and then we try to put the programs appropriately in place. Perhaps there is some hope. However, when we hire people and the way their skills morph, their competency morphs, or even their interests morph, the role that they were hired for originally, that may change. And if you, if, if you were to really be practical, how many of such moves can we track and accordingly change their roles, what they do on a given day, uh, any given day, uh, to, to such an extent that they're always at 100% engagement level? How practical is it? If it's not, then what's the plan B? Well, I think Vineet brings up a, a very good point. In, in my mind, it really is talking to the connection that an individual employee has to the organization they work with. You know, ultimately, they, they start with their own goals uh, and desires and dreams for themselves, their career, and their families, but then they have connections to their immediate work groups, maybe their, their org, their teams that they work on, the projects they work on. And if you look at it from a concentric ring, the next connection is really to the rest of the company and what a worldwide organization might be doing. But then ultimately, that company's connection to the world is something that an individual employee needs to not only feel, but put into practice. And, and I think that uh, I feel like we've done a very good job uh, internally at Autodesk of making the connection between the company's mission and the individuals that then contribute to that mission. You know, the reality in my perspective Sanjog is that this is a, it's a trajectory and it's a development activity through the course of someone's career. So where we all started as our first job is certainly not the place where we expect to end up. And that trajectory has to be able to be nurtured along the way through development activities, communication, good management that can help pave the way, uh, provide opportunities, and help individual employees really look at the different opportunities that may be presented within a company or an industry and figure out what, you know, which, which shoe fits them the best as they develop through their careers. So, Vineet, would you agree that when we yeah. – yeah, go ahead, Vineet. Do you have a thought on this? Yeah, so, Joe, so I agree with what Jeff is saying, and fortunately me and Jeff have worked together, uh, so I know the kind of practices which Autodesk has. 
But what I would like to do is to just step a bit back. And, and the reason I'm asking you to step a bit back is to try and take you into the HCL transformation journey when we were 30,000 people in, in 2005 and about $700 million in revenue. Uh, we were fundamentally asking ourselves many questions. So how do we transform our company, which was losing market share, mind share, and diamond share? And what is it that we do? And at that time, I was hearing the same things which the question you were asking that, you know, do we do job enrichment? Do you do we train people? Are people fit for this job? Are people fit for that job? And I said, you know, can we step back and ask ourselves three fundamental questions? Question number one is what is the core purpose of our existence as a company? And our core purpose is to create differentiated value for our customers. And the more differentiated value we create, the faster we will grow. The second question is, where does this differentiated value get created? And who creates it? So it gets created by my employees in the interface of HCL and its customers like Autodesk. So that is the value zone. So our employees create the differentiated value, which helps us go faster in the interface between the company and our customers. And therefore, we ask ourselves a third fundamental question, then what should the role of this, what should the business of managers and management in such an environment be? And the role of business and managers and management in such an environment has to be infused, encourage, enable the employees to do what they want to do rather than what you want them to do. And that gives birth to the idea of our employee first, customer second. The reason this thinking is very important for us to think is that before we get into the devil and the details in terms of this initiative and are they happy, are they not happy, are they defined, are they not defined, I think organizations need to step back and understand that employees' role is the differentiator they are delivering to the customers. And therefore, the business of managers and management has to be redefined. So once that is redefined, then there are numerous amount of initiatives you can roll out, and all of them will be successful. But if you do not roll out the intention correctly, that the business of managers and management is not about including encouraging, but pursue profit, despite the employees, then irrespective of the good initiatives you, you, you roll out, none of them will be successful. So um, let's take a quick break. Listeners will be right back. And perhaps I will go ahead and ask the question with respect to the work-life balance that we all say we want to offer. Now, most of us try starting our career to say we are going to have a great life and for that I'm going to work. But then it somehow starts happening where we start living to work versus working to live. Where do we lose that balance and how, how much of that is attributed to the way organizations make that happen to people, which in turn results in burnout and which in turn takes the very essence of why anyone would want to come to a workplace and feel charged up and uh, ready to create value. So let's explore this once, uh, once we come back from the break. Please stay tuned. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. 
The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Jeff, we are all trying to make sure that it is a great environment for anyone to come and work at our workplaces that we create. Now, we all started with that idea where we wanted to uh, work to live, but somehow the pressures within a corporate environment are making such that our life such that we are living to work. If we have, we are going to have such environment, then God bless us all. How can we ever put employees first? Well, I think it first starts with a mindset, Sanjog. I mean, we talk about uh, work-life balance, but I actually like to look at it a different way and call it life-work balance because ultimately it sort of identifies where the priority is. And the priority should be on life. And if you really believe that you live to work, then unfortunately uh, you're probably not going to be satisfied in multiple aspects of your life or career. So I think that there are things that um, individual organizations do that do put that pressure on employees to make those trade-offs. You know, whether that is uh, poor planning from uh, a leadership standpoint that that leads to unforeseen escalations and and fire drills or unrealistic expectations without sort of knowing uh, what the mechanics might be associated with delivering on on a particular commitment or even uh, taking an, an execution approach. So as an example, within our team, um, we have quite a bit of, of software development, and we have moved away from waterfall as sort of a uh, you know an approach that is sort of very um, committed to trying figuring out every possible scenario up front to be able to uh, big bang a, a deliverable, and we've moved to much more of an agile based approach, which allows people to adapt along the way. So I think that an adaptable approach as well as an adaptable workplace will allow for people to um, to deal with life. Life happens, right? Whether you're talking about um, uh, sicknesses or weddings, vacations, uh, here at Autodesk we have a sabbatical program that every four years uh, you get six weeks off contiguous. So managers have to plan for that. And if people can't even plan to take uh, time off that is allowed to them as a benefit, then we all got a bigger problem than just figuring out how to deliver the next project. Now, you did mention that you got sabbatical program, and we are, we are of course, taking care of whatever we can to provide people relief. Do you think that while we provide them relief, but 
during uh, between between those relief periods, is there enough um, buffer offered to people so that they can think a little and not work mindlessly? And it's it's again not about this show is basically not about saying that we are doing it on purpose. It is happening, and if it is happening then there is some other fundamental flaw in the way workload and work variety is being estimated in the ivory tower and how it gets allocated so people are working on things beyond what they can do in a given day and that's what is causing them to stretch the day. Right, Jeff? Well, I, yeah, I do think that um, there's a couple aspects here. One is around communication. You know, the, Not everything is a priority and I think that sometimes we get into the mode where we believe that yesterday's priorities are by default today's and tomorrow's priorities. So the communication around ongoing prioritization is really critical. Uh, that communication is a shared responsibility between the employee and the management team. And I think that if the, de- the management team does not demonstrate that two-way communication and willingness to adapt, then quite honestly, it's the responsibility of the senior leadership of any organization to take the appropriate steps. because. Uh, if we, in fact, structure our work where it is not um, able to be uh, uh, fulfilling for folks, because we are certainly talking about uh, industries of knowledge workers and highly qualified folks where, in fact, uh, as we've uh, sort of alluded to, that the individual employees are the talent, and the talent is what people are competing for. The best talent will always be in high demand. So we want to make sure that we're not only providing uh, a very valuable work environment, but also the content, the content of the work to be valuable to the individual as well as the results to be valuable to the company. So, Vineet, back to you. When you look at all the different things that we have spoken about with respect to providing enough buffer in their work life and, and things of that nature, I think all of us are aware of it, and that's why we're able to very easily talk about it. You wrote a book on saying I'm going to change the way we think, that we'll change the way an organization works. And actually, uh, you, you were able to create some success out of it. So that's great. We look at hindsight 2020, and we would have done things which were right and other things which were not right. Could you share some of that please, uh, with us, please? I, th- I think, yes. So, so HL success was a 600% growth in revenues, profit, and market cap in seven years. And the reason for that was that we put employees in the center of everything, and that's how Employee First, Customer Second was born, because we saw employees as a core differentiation. But the way we went about executing that is where the trick is. So the first thing which we, we realized is that the, it is very important for us to realize that most organizations are trapped in the rearview mirror. That means that once they were great, and they are always talking about the past. It's like a, a plumber walks into your house, and uh, you talk about uh, you know the million-dollar house you have, and this is the seat where Nelson Mandela sat, and this is the painting which Emma Hussein had made, and you kept on talking to the plumber for two hours, and finally after two hours the plumber says, "So the where the hell is the leak?" So most organizations are unwilling to share. Mirror, and mirror on the wall, we are the ugliest of all. Where the hell is the leak? And they are constantly telling their employees how good they are, and they're not telling the employees where the leak is. And therefore, the first thing which needs to be done is to get the organization re-energized, create a burning platform so that the employees see where the problem is so that they can start solving it. 
The second experiment, series of experiments which we did was that the trust between the employees and the leader and the trust between the employee and the manager is very poor and in absence of trust, nothing can move forward. So therefore, the answer to that was if you push the envelope of transparency so hard that the employee will have no choice but to trust you. So we put all our dirty linen in public. So I ran a digital website where anybody can ask me a question and I would answer that, and so would my other leaders. That is 90,000 employees across 32 countries. But the trick was that every single employee would be able to see the question and every, every single employee will be able to see the answer. But the most important aspect of what the answer was the word, I don't know. Because 90% of the time, you don't know. So if you don't know, you say you don't know. And if you think something is wrong, you say it is wrong. So the second aspect is, build trust by pushing the envelope of transparency. The third step was very interesting. The third step was inverting the organization pyramid by making the management accountable to the employees. So there are two things which we did there. Number one, all enabling functions like HR, finance, administration, quality, they were on a trouble ticketing system, which Jeff would understand, which we use in uh, IT systems. So any employee can open a ticket on the company, and the company will run to solve that problem in a limited period of time, and the employee will close the ticket. So suddenly everybody was running behind, making sure that there are no employee issues outstanding. The second thing which we did on that, which was very interesting, is that my appraisal in the year 2005 was done by about 30,000 employees at that time and 90,000 employees in the last year. And the results of that 360-degree appraisal was published on the web for all employees to see. So with one stroke, I as a CEO of the company and 6,500 of my other colleagues in the company communicated to the employees that we would be appraised by the employees and we are happy to be happy for the appraisals to be public for all employees to see. So that was the third step where we inverted the organization pyramid and made the management accountable to the employees. And the fourth step is where we answered the question you are asking, transfer the ownership of change to the employees. So we said now we have created an organization which is employee first, customer second, and we have done everything to enable you, enthuse you, encourage you. Now we need to see performance. So the ownership of performance is with you. And we are in the business of making sure you do what you want to do, but we need to see performance. So suddenly, the emphasis on performance was no more with the management, but with the employees. And the energy level in the organization went 10 times higher. And therefore, despite recession in 2008, we never stopped growing. So beautiful points, very well uh, articulated. Now, let me take this back to Jeff. Do you think most people in PR and corporate communications would be willing to resign if they had to be dealing with such approach within an organization? You know, I don't think so. I believe that um, most leaders would appreciate that visibility um, and that flow of two-way communication. I think that... um, when you start a program like that, it's messy. Uh, you know, my experience is that it's messy, and there's a lot of different areas that get surfaced that may be just um, sharing of opinions, but not actionable. And I think that when you put some structure, and Vinny uh, talked a little bit about just simple structure about having a website where uh, where there's a question and answer, where there's a dialogue that's going on. I think that that is a very valuable way to allow the feedback to become actionable. Uh, as an example, 
In Autodesk, we have an annual employee engagement survey. This is, is something that the company has been doing for uh, eight or nine years, and certainly uh, the entire time that I've been here for the last five years or so. Uh, it's something that is very well uh, participated in from the, from the employee base with over 90% response rate, and it is completely objective, done by an uh, external party. I can tell you that the insight I get as a leader into my organization through the employee survey um, allows me to put programs in place that are not only tailored to that feedback, but also that engage and involve those employees in the solution. Because this is not about um, the employees have an issue and the management has a solution. It's actually involving folks in the creation uh, of the solution, the implementation, quite honestly, the ongoing effectiveness of those solutions so that it isn't an us and them. It's actually that we're all on the same team but with different roles and pulling toward the same goals. I do think that the co-ownership of performance is an extremely important aspect that Vinny touched on. Uh, that also goes to co-ownership of development uh, for the individual and in their, in their careers. It also goes to co-ownership of results of a company. And so I think when you get all of those things aligned, where the incentives and the rewards are aligned to the same factors that the individual may hold as valuable, I agree it's a force multiplier. It becomes a very strong propeller for the, the organization to move forward. So, we need to add to something yeah, which yeah, go ahead. said. Uh, and I, I just don't want anybody to miss the implications of something very important which Jeff said in terms of initiatives being co-owned by the people who are the manager and the employees. Uh, and I call this, you know, I've written extensively on this, I call it the hand of God. What, what we really love about ourselves is our voice. And we have this master's voice where we believe that our ideas are the most important ideas which need to be done right now and the most intelligent ideas which everybody needs to follow. However, if you go and look at innovations and experiments and inventions, the way they are created is there is a frame, framework of hypothesis, and then the scientist goes and tests the hypothesis to be right and wrong, and then creation of another hypothesis, another hypothesis, and there are you know, zillions of these hypotheses which results into an invention. So if you were to launch, as Jeff, Jeff is rightly saying, your initiatives collaborating with your employees as experiments with hypotheses so that you can change them, modify them, and they are owned by the employees and they believe they also participated in creating them instead of being your master's voice, I think you would see a significant ownership, significant participation, and significant higher quality ideas coming from the bottom of the pyramid with better returns. So I agree with Jeff on that. So, Vineet, uh, we will come. I will take a quick break, and when we come back, I'd like to explore that when you go about, uh, you know, what you did in your organization, and then you wrote a book about it. And of course, there are people who may have come to you, and and commended you for such a phenomenal uh, work performed. Then they may have tried to Im imitate and or emulate some of the ideas that you had suggested, uh, maybe in person or, or through the book. What challenges people say uh, typically are they inventoried for you where they tried the same things, but they did not work? And why would you say those challenges exist? So let's explore that when we come back. Please stay tuned. 
HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Jog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll free at 1 866 472 5790. That number again is 1 866 472 5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Jog All. Welcome back. So, Vineet, when you did what you did and had people come to you and say, we, this is how we would like to implement the same. What challenges did they say they have up front? And perhaps some people may have already started that journey, emulating what you suggested in your book. What, what, all, what all were they facing and, and what were the reasons for such issues? Because many of those issues might be persisting today because very, very few organizations today have that DNA or that structure that you'd suggested. So a couple of things. First is, Sanjok, I didn't implement any of these ideas. I'm the author of the book of these ideas. These ideas were implemented, actually conceptualized and implemented by 90,000 employees. The second is that whenever anybody tries to experiment with these ideas, my advice to them is these were series of experiments which you rightly said in hindsight look very clean. In foresight, they were very messy. So do it at your own risk. But the core philosophy of anybody who's tried to implement, and I, you know, at last count, 78 companies have implemented this in various degrees of success. I tell them that what is important is not the series of experiments of 360-degree survey or trouble ticketing or, you know, humans with a amount of other initiative implemented, but the core idea. The core idea is the fact that do you feel that employees are your competitive advantage and to, in, and for the competitive advantage, will you make the management and managers accountable to the employees? Now, some companies uh, do that, and some companies say, okay, we will make the enabling functions accountable to begin with. Second, second they say, we will make the middle management accountable to the front-end employees. Third, they say, maybe we'll make the sales guys uh, very important, and therefore the management accountable to the sales guys. Or, you know, the different permutations, combination, they, they try and experiment. And I have observed across the 78 companies that if you try and take half measures, you lose your credibility. So the critical question you need to ask is, is employees your critical competitive advantage, not your critical asset, not your most important you know, piece of architecture within your company, 
the most important and the competitive advantage. And for the competitive advantage, are you going to put the same passion, the same energy in making that happen? Last point, what are the what what is the feedback I have I have received from most CEOs or most managers is what I call a series of excuses. And I can go on for the next hundred hours talking about series of excuses of why they can't do it and why their culture is different, why their country is different, why their ethos is different. And my answer to them, all of those you know, hundred hours of excuses is as as follows. That when you're playing a foot, when you're playing a game of soccer or football, whatever you call it, and you have the ball in your hand, and you have 21 other players on the field, your 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 mind is doing a very complex algorithm in terms of where should you go and run with the ball, kick the ball, run with the ball, pass the ball, do whatever it is. At that time, you don't think about whether he's a German or English or Indian or a Chinese or a Korean. You, your algorithm doesn't go into the culture differences, the country differences. You know, it doesn't go into any of that. And you do the algorithm, and you you do what what is the right thing. So, if complex things like playing soccer and football is so easy when it comes to these things, why are you unnecessarily complicating business lives with such excuses? And that that logic has mostly worked, and people have rebooted their excuse culture and and started thinking more seriously about employee first, customer second. So, Jeff, if you were to compare what you've created as a culture or your, you know, executive team has created as an organization and the DNA so that you have that putting employee first approach, how different is it from what uh, Vinita suggested? And where all do you feel there is still some work to be done to reach that ultimate nirvana, if you will? Well, first of all, I have to uh, thank Vinita for not using a cricket analogy because I would have been completely lost. <laughs> On that one. Uh, no, but his, his point is well taken in that, you know, uh, it's something that, quite honestly, I tried to teach my 10-year-old son, which is when preparation meets opportunity, that's the point of performance, right? So when you talk about the individuals on a soccer pitch, um, the coaches are not telling people, you know, right foot, left foot, run faster, slow down. They expect that it, by that point in time, the opportunity to score the goal um, is based on the preparation that they have and the performance of actually scoring or not scoring is really up to the individual. So I think it's a really important metaphor um, to consider how the managers are there to prepare individuals for not only the challenges that they face currently, but what the company expects they will face in the future. And so specific to your question, Sanjo, about sort of the the perspective of uh, employees first, customer second. I do agree with the principle. I think that, um, to me, I will sort of maybe mix that in with some um, some knowledge I gained from reading some of Jim Collins' books many, many years ago, that it's not either or. It really is trying to ensure that uh, everybody understands the ultimate goal of the organization and it is through the employees that we're going to serve the customers. And in fact, serving the customers is the primary goal uh, of any organization. So if you look at, at Autodesk as an example, at the highest level of our company, we're, we're, we are tool makers. Uh, you know, our mission is to help people imagine, design, and create a better world. So at the end of the day, whether um, <clears throat> you're designing the, the next uh, bridge 
between two, uh, two land masses or whether you're designing a, a cartoon character through CGI animation or whether you're designing the, the next um, telephone that's going to show up in everybody's pocket across the world. The ability for people to leverage our tools in innovative, new, and creative ways is why our company is here. And so if you look at it that way and you say, we're, we as employees of a company like this, are, we're links in the chain. We are providing a service so that our ultimate stakeholders, who are, are the people who are creating a better world, can use our tools to be successful. And so while that may sound a bit lofty, I think the practical reality is that we can draw connections to individual organizations and all the way down to individual people as to what they do that contributes to that mission and, in fact, is contributing to a better world. So I think that it's important that the focus is, is balanced. It's not either or, and I certainly don't believe that uh, that is beneath point. It really is about um, being able to serve a higher purpose while serving the most important purpose uh, right in front of you every day. Now, Vineet, if I were to come to you and say, well, your, your, um, your approach is going to lead us to utopia, but do you think when you're getting started at least, or somewhere in between, between where during the journey, there could be a direct head-on conflict between the shareholder, shareholder value creation and the employee value creation? I'd say it again that I 100% agree with Jeff, right? And I am I am not propagating employee first, customer second, because you should be nice to employees. I am saying that you can grow twice as fast as you're growing, and you can create double the shareholder value than you are creating if you treat your employees as your competitive advantage. So the entire strategy of HCL, if you take from 2005 to 2013, of a 600% growth, there was a 600% growth of market cap also. So, you know, it is a growth strategy, and I, I, I emphasize it again and again, that if the CEOs figure out that there are two options they have for growth, one, what they do, product, pricing, proposition, markets, and that's a very tough area for innovation. The second axis is how they do it. So the Japanese automakers, when they took on the world, they, they, they defined new ways of manufacturing, Kaizen methodology, just in time. So they innovated on the how axis and not on the what axis. So if you innovate on the how axis, the question to ask is, can culture of the organization be the competitive advantage which will help you grow faster than your competition? And the answer to that in my, my book is yes. If employees are the core differentiator and you create a culture which is unique and a competitive advantage, then you can grow significantly faster than the industry as it will demonstrate it. So therefore, it is not that it, the employee first is not about employees first and everybody else is second. No. Employee is first because it's a competitive advantage, and by putting employee first, you will create more shareholder value, you will create more bonuses for the CEO and the management team, you will create happiness for the employees, and you, you know, it's an it's a all-round competitive advantage as you will come up with a new product. So culture as a competitive differentiation is as innovative 
as a new product and it will give you the same return as a new product with lesser effort. Greatly put. Now, Jeff, do you think this would be a great packaging, if you will, for building a business case for for us to take it back to the the executive management to say this is what we want to attempt to do maybe not across the organization maybe starting with the IT organization if i could as a cio of autodesk do you think that is where this approach would have the most uh, merit and the most value i do think that starting small with demonstrated results is uh, probably the best way to gain the credibility and leverage that you need to be able to expand it. I do believe that um, within our organization, we've pushed a couple of programs forward that have been seen as revolutionary when we got them started internally. But the reality is that they were very much in line with what our internal customers were telling us they expected from our organization. Um, and so I think that as you build the credibility, and quite honestly, you build the credibility through delivery, and you build it one day at a time. It's not about the plans that you have on the drawing board or the, the resources and experts that you bring in from the outside. It's about being able to move an organization's mindset and actively shape that culture through delivery and seeing the value of that delivery. And so I do think that IT organizations are actually very well suited to do this. Uh, it can be a challenge. However, pick something that is, um, is workable. Pick a group of people that can be uh, motivated and serve as the, uh, the, the first group, if you will, that is willing to tackle a new problem in a new way, or in, in fact, even an existing problem in a new way such that you can learn from that, spread that learning throughout the organization, and then focus on the results that have been delivered. Now, both so, of you so have... Uh, ask, yeah, please go ahead. If I, if I can ask Jeff a question. So, Jeff, I have observed, viewing many CIOs and, and their shops, that your team delivers on budget, on time, on complex projects, including SAP projects, uh, more often than I have seen other, other teams deliver. What if you were to pick one reason for that to happen, because it's not just your employees, including your partners and everything else. I've seen that consistency happening in Autodesk. What, what would you attribute the reason to be? Well, first of all, I, I appreciate the compliment. I think that, you know, all the credit goes to the team and the managers on the ground who are overseeing the execution, because it is one thing to have a plan it's another thing completely to execute that plan. So just like your soccer analogy, uh, the coaching staff can have a game plan, but if the players on the field cannot execute, uh, then it will not result in a victory. I think more so than anything else, it, you know, our success in the recent years has been directly tied to what I just mentioned, which is um, gain credibility in those areas where uh, credibility was needed and if I look across the board and I say uh, that I try to um, get my team to think about delivering our services better, faster, cheaper, if I had to pick one of those, the first one would be faster. Uh, and as you start delivering things faster, you get immediate feedback. You then have the ability to make them better um, in almost real time. Ultimately, cheaper will come. 
But yeah, so I'm not advocating that we are taking a, uh, a fiduciary responsibility and throwing it out the window, but in fact saying that if you want to build credibility, you do that by delivering value. And so whether it is um, my relationship with external vendors or whether it is uh, me serving internal customers, I always try to sort of get the message to my team that cost is what you pay and value is what you get. And when you look at the value that's being delivered, um, I think that uh, our team has been able to build credibility over the years. Uh, and I, I look at that really um, day by day, beneath, uh, sprint by sprint on the software delivery side, deployment by deployment on the infrastructure side, uh, earning our stripes every day from an operations perspective and keeping Autodesk running. That is really where I think uh, teams can add the most value and, in fact, then set themselves up for, for future opportunities. Let's take a quick break. Let's just we'll be right back. And, Vineet, I'd like to ask you about the individuals who, of course, are in the center of all of this, which is the employees. What are the risks related to this approach that you suggested or putting employees first and, and hoping that they will adopt this DNA across the board 100%. And some people might start abusing it and or they may actually go in the wrong direction or misinterpret this newly found freedom or authority. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll free at 1 866 472 5790. That number again is 1 866 472 5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Vineet, what are the chances that the newly found freedom or, or this new authority that they can actually be making their managers accountable be abused or are taken in the wrong perspective? So, I, in, in, my, in my experience, and I've run pretty large organizations, as I said, with 90,000 people in 32 countries, uh, employees come to work because they want to do something. 
And the only reason they don't do uh, their work is because uh, the hand of God or whatever is happening around them uh, disables them rather than enables them. And that word is very important, disables them versus enables them. But I want to turn this around and look at this from an employee point of view. And, and my observation is there are three kinds of people in life. And the people who are listening to the show have to try and understand what kind they are. Their first kind are what I call transformers. They are 5% or 10% of the organizations. They want to climb Mount Everest every day. Huge amount of enthusiasm. You want a huge amount of energy. They walk into the room and suddenly the organization, uh, suddenly the room lights up. Then there are second kind of people which I call lost souls. So they are people who take energy away from everybody. So they are constantly creeping about, the government is bad, the president is bad, the roads are bad, the electricity is bad, the environment is bad, and security is bad, and the company is bad, the growth is bad. So they constantly take energy away. So there is a lost souls and there are transformers. And then there is a huge crowd right in the middle called the fence sitters. Now what I tell people who are fence sitters is at least the transformers are giving energy and the fence sitters are taking energy and therefore they are both active whereas the fence-sitters are not active at all, and they are having it both ways, because transformers will not exist without the fence-sitters, and lost souls will not exist without the fence-sitters. So don't be a fence-sitter. You know, make up your mind. If you are in an environment where you cannot be a transformer, go to another environment or change your environment or find out what can you do to, to convert that environment and not be a fence-sitter and be a transformer, even in that environment. Now, when you flip that argument from an organization transformation point of view, actually you need only 5 or 10% of your organization to truly believe in, in what you are trying to seek, which is the employee centricity, for it to reach a tipping point. And once it reaches a tipping point, you focus on the fence-sitters and convince them not to be a loss, not to move towards lost souls, but increasingly move towards transformers. And if you work on the fence-sitters, enough people start moving and enough people start moving towards the tipping point and the magic happens. So have I seen employees misuse this freedom? The answer is no. The answer is yes, but not enough of them to matter. And the risk of doing this is far lower than the advantage you get. And that is true with just-in-time inventory management of the Japanese. That is true with Kaizen methodology. That is true with anything which you experiment. That is true with a new product. That is true with a new market. That is true with a new price. There is a risk and a downside with every step you take. But in this step, my overall experience is that if your intention is right and you work on your employees explaining to them not to be fence-sitters, there is a very high probability you'll get it right. So, Jeff, in your world, how do you see the responsibility of employees while we are putting them first, but there is also a duty that with rights come the responsibilities too? Well, I completely, first of all, agree with Vinit's uh, characterization. In fact, I, I learned something long time ago about executing on a strategy, and, and uh, one, of the, one of my leaders at the time told me that, you know, if you believe in the strategy, execute uh, to your best ability. If you don't believe in the strategy, execute twice as quickly. So in other words, prove that it is not the right strategy quickly so that you can adapt. And I think that this is really about the engagement of, uh, of the fence sitters, as we need to call them, so that they are actually uh, not part of the problem but part of the solution. I do think also that, um, you know, there has to be an alignment 
between the, the individual motivations uh, and the recognition and rewards that an individual may gain through their performance. Because, you know, we've talked a lot about the connection and the empowerment of an employee, um, but we have to also recognize that uh, each employee is different and they have different motivations. Uh, in, my, in my career, I would say that I've, I've sort of characterized this as, you know, when I look at my satisfaction with any particular role or people that I've worked with, it really comes down to sort of what you're working on, who you're working with. You know, do you report to someone that you respect and, and feel can coach and develop you? And are you fairly compensated for what you do? And over the course of a career, uh, those, those four elements may have different weighting and different priorities for an individual. So we have to make sure that we engage the employees on his or her individual terms in a way that can help serve the organization. And so I think once you align those motivations with the rewards and recognitions as well as the opportunities for growth, that's really where you see that active participation where you set the expectation that, um, you know, we don't want this large group of folks who might be in the middle uh, waiting for the ball to drop, if you will, and, and not uh, actively playing in the game. Um, this is not a spectator sport, you know, and so serving our customers and serving the, the mission of the company is something we expect people to be actively engaged in. 15 seconds each. One thought that you would like to offer, starting with you, Jeff, to the leaders who are ready or perhaps willing to embark upon a similar journey. I think that you need to be bold enough to lead. You need to be able to set a direction that your team can understand and follow. You need to be humble enough to adapt that direction based on information that you get, and you have to be committed to the individual and to the mission of the organization if you're going to be successful. 15 seconds for you, Vineet. If you're standing on a ledge of a building which is on fire and you, know, you are the only one who knows the right answer is to jump, you jump, would the others jump with you? If the answer is yes, you are leading. If the answer is no, then you are managing on behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd like to really thank you both, Vineet and Jeff, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations can put employees first and make them owners of their own career and bring the organization along. Thank you so much again. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. And Thank you again. And uh, please, uh, listeners, hope you enjoyed the conversation, took a few uh, takeaways here. And uh, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.